people that are new to real estate, they always think, okay, I'm going to do a single family home and maybe, you know, add another unit in the basement or something like that. Or they maybe look at a duplex. But when you start talking about, you know, things that are five, six, seven units or more, things that would be considered commercial, they get scared. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Kurt, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. Absolutely. Well, Kurt, we like to start off with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Ooh, it's been a while since I've actually had ice cream, but when I was having ice cream, it was definitely chocolate peanut butter. Ah, I love chocolate and peanut butter. The people that don't like peanut butter in their ice cream are weird. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. All right. Now, if you had to choose crunchy or creamy peanut butter. I'd go with crunchy. Yes. It feels like more filling. That is the correct answer. People that like creamy (laughs) peanut butter are wrong. It's disgusting. (laughs) All right. Well, Kurt, tell us, what's your scoop? What do you do today? Uh, Well, today, focus on multifamily properties. I'm actually being focused on that since... uh, really started getting, I'd say, back into real estate in uh, 2019. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, your journey didn't begin in real estate. Uh, you were actually a stock and a Forex guy. Tell us how yep. you, uh, tell, take us back to those days. What, what were you doing in the stock Forex uh, trading arena? And then we'll go from there. Well, it's funny because it was actually real estate that pushed me into looking at uh, stocks and Forex. Um, the very first real estate deal I did was actually in 2007 and partnered with a few guys I work with. Um, and, you know, we work for a company that taught people how to invest in real estate and financial markets. So we were young and we had egos and we're like, oh, we don't need to get a mentor. We don't need to go through the training. Let's just do it. We were rounded enough. And so we bought a pre-foreclosure um, that was, I think, appraised at about 740000 and we got it just under 600000 Nice. So nice margin, but we didn't stage it. We brought in a bad realtor market also was starting to shift back in 2007, even up here in Canada. And we ended up losing money. And after that, I'm like, real estate doesn't work. Let me go into trading and just spend endless hours sitting in front of a computer screen, staring at charts. So that's how I got into trading stocks, forex, and options. Gotcha. What were you doing in that? Were you just uh, buying calls? Uh, Were you trading like condors? Like what were you doing in stocks? So I was doing covered calls initially and also doing condors as well. Um, So I was really selling more uh, credit. I was doing credit spreads really in the beginning. And then I remember thinking as I started to take training, work with different mentors and coaches, I remember thinking to myself, I'm never trading Forex. That seems like a scam. And then I took a class on Forex just because, you know, what you don't know, you don't know is what will kill you in life. So I'm like, okay, let me at least learn about the world of Forex. And I was hooked. And so I started trading Forex, probably way too much, staying up until like two, three in the morning because it's a 24-hour market. Um, and yeah, so that's that's really what I was doing. And I traded Forex stocks and options from 2009. So pretty much the bottom of the market after the financial crash um, through 2017. Were you making, I mean, clearly you had to be making money doing it, right? I was making money, but like with anything else trading, there was always that, you know, kind of you go up a little bit and then you get a pullback and up a little bit and pull back. So there wasn't just the consistency. And one of the things that made me decide to get out of trading was, you know, had 
two young kids and I realized, okay, I can't leave them anything. Like I can impart knowledge and I can impart, you know, my experience, but there's nothing tangible that I can leave in terms of trading. And so that's why I decided, okay, I'm going to stop and look for something else. And that was in 2017. Gotcha. Yeah. I, um, to your point about going up and down, like I trade options every now and then. And when I first got introduced to options is when my, one of my very first trades, I made like 20 grand off of the trade. I'm like, this is easy. No wonder all these Instagram people are out there talking on it and making all this money and flying private jets. And then that was probably the best trade and only trade I've had that's done really, really well. I had a couple of trades that went against me to the tune of like five grand, 10 grand. I'm like, okay, that's real money. I need to, I need to probably stop doing this unless I'm going to do it full time. Yeah. And it's uh, the world of trading is interesting and, you know, trading for us, I'm not sure if you or your audience is familiar with like uh, gray boxes and black boxes, like automatic trading. So I was working with a developer uh, kind of at the height of when I was trading Forex, like a lot. And so we came up with this gray box, which required, you know, basically some human input, but the system would manage the trades for you. So I was using that. And one day he's like, okay, I just did a change and improvement. And I'm like, all right, and I'm doing really well. I'm probably doing at this time, I'd say between two to 3% a week. And I'm like, all right, let's give it a try. Put it on my live account. Woke up, Uh-oh. my account went down 75% in seven minutes. I will never, ever forget those numbers. And yeah, that, that was the kind of the first realization that maybe I should be looking at something else, but that was, I think in 2015 and traded for two more years after that, and then called it quits. Got it. Got it. So you got into the real estate because of this idea of handing things down or giving, passing on generational wealth to your kids. Um, you mentioned the first deal. So what was your second deal after that? 2017, you're interested in this real estate. what did you find after that? I honestly took, uh, couple of years to actually do the first deal. And the first year in 2017 through 2018, it was a year of, you know, after spending that many years trading and spending a lot of time, it was like, okay, time to find some balance in family. And I was married at the time, kids that were very active in Taekwondo, getting into sports. So I really kind of took a year away from doing anything other than the J-O-B. Um, and then in 2018, I was out at lunch with two very good friends and we've kicked this idea of doing something together, starting a business, investing. Um, they had done some trading as well over the uh, past couple of years. And then I think it's one of those situations where we're all sick and tired of our jobs on the exact same day at the same time. And we're like, okay, that's it. We're doing something. And this was, I think, June, 2018, roughly. And we decided it would be real estate. So I took the lessons I learned from trading, which is, you know, work with mentors and coaches, take classes, learn everything. So we started doing that. And then in 2018, towards the end, we formed our corporation. And then a few months later, we closed in our first six unit building in a small town, well, smallish town, north of Toronto. How how small was that town? So that town, about 150,000 people at the time. Okay. So it wasn't yeah, tiny. Yeah. But uh, I remember when we were talking to people about investing in the market Sudbury back then, everybody was like, why are you going up there? That's like four or five hours away from Toronto, invest down here. But our strategy from the beginning was looking at generating cash flow. And we realized with the price of properties in and around Toronto and like most major cities in North America, it's very difficult to be creative and to cash flow unless you're going to do something like a burr strategy, or you're going to do a lot of tenant turnover, 
But for us, we wanted uh, properties that were more somewhat turnkey. So maybe some cosmetic work that provided cash flow almost immediately. Yeah. And do you remember what the numbers were on that first deal? I remember our purchase price was about 425 or just slightly just shy of that. And that's for six units. So that was pretty good. Yeah. The one thing that um, really attracted us to the property is not only did it have rental income, but the previous owner had put solar panels on. So we got solar revenue from it. And then we worked with an amazing property manager and realtor. And, you know, we were talking with the property manager. It had a little shed in front. So we turned that into like a mini storage for one of the tenants who had like a motorcycle, wanted to store it. There was parking lot in the back. And then behind the building, there was commercial units. So we rented out a spot, I think, for $200 a month to like a doctor or dentist or something. And then we added coin-operated laundry. So we had all these streams of income off of one property. So we were like, awesome. We also did tenant turnover. So I think uh, we had that property from 2019. Um, I think we had it for two years until we sold it, but we turned over five of the six tenants. Um, so obviously put the rents back up to market rent. So it was cash flowing quite well, which was, uh, which was very good for the first deal. Hey, fellow investors, before we dive into our next segment of the show, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you about a fantastic opportunity for you to invest with me. As you know, here at Ice Cream with Investors, I'm passionate about real estate investing and helping you navigate the exciting world of wealth creation through real estate. And that's why for the first time, I'm thrilled to tell you about an opportunity for you to invest alongside of me. Over the past three years, I've been investing in multifamily, mobile home parks, car washes. I've even become the bank and lent out money to fellow real estate investors on a short-term basis. And now you can come join me. If you'd like to jump on a call and learn more about this opportunity, head to icecreamwithinvestors.com slash invest and find a time for us to connect. And now back to the show. Yeah. And I, on smaller units like that, the ability to add additional income streams is phenomenal. Like it's hard to do on single family. Most larger multifamily already has have those in place. So mm -hmm. you found a little niche there where you could add a bunch of income streams to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a sweet spot. Like, a, you know, work with um, a few investors and people that are new to real estate, they always think, okay, I'm going to do a single family home and maybe you know, add another unit in the basement or something like that, or they maybe look at a duplex. But when you start talking about, you know, things that are five, six, seven units or more things that would be considered commercial, they get scared. But the reality is those can be easier to finance and give you a lot more opportunities and also provide less risk. So, you know, that's kind of where we stayed. We did over the past couple of years, we did purchase a duplex. We did purchase a triplex as well. Um, but where kind of our sweet spot it was, was that kind of six unit or more. Gotcha. How did the solar work? I've never had anybody on the show that's at, had or added solar to their, uh, to their properties. How did that work? Well, Matt, since it's just you and me, I'll tell you a little secret. <laughs> uh, we didn't have to worry about the installation or getting approvals or anything like that. So basically when we purchased the property, we just took over the solar. So you know, any money that the solar was generating being fed out to the grid, we got a check from the city of Sudbury um, for whatever that amount. So Sudbury, probably don't know, it snows nine and a half months of the year. So two and a half months, great additional cash flow. For the rest of the year, not so great, but it was a little bit. Now we sold that property back in 2022 and we're still getting checks now. We shouldn't be, but unfortunately the owner has not 
transition over. So we have it sitting in a separate account. So we've reached out to them. We've asked them and yeah, so we're waiting, but it's a pretty simple process. If it's already in place, it's just transitioning uh, from the previous owner over to you. So that way the checks come to you. Is that a strategy that you've tried to implement on any of your other properties? We haven't just because the cost. So when we look at the mm -hmm. return on the initial investment, it's not worth it. The gentleman who owned the property before us had it for, I think, 30 years or something like that. So he really had no mortgage on it. And I think for him, it was just, again, looking at additional you know, cash flow. So for him to get solar put on, he has no mortgage payment. He was still cash flowing. And with that added income, it made it even better and more attractive. Yeah. Yeah. And I would... Uh throw an asterisk and say that some states in the US won't let you do that. I know Florida specifically, like you have to have your own generator that it feeds into. You can't bill back to the system. There's something weird there. So um, definitely check your local market before you go running off with the strategy. Absolutely. What So what does your portfolio look like today? You mentioned a couple of duplexes, triplex. What does your portfolio look like today? Yeah. So it consists of uh, six units, duplexes, triplexes. We own a commercial property that's actually leased out to a, a daycare. Um, and right now, really looking at, we're actually looking in the US as well. So myself and uh, two other investors are looking at 50 units in Texas. So just going through kind of the initial negotiation, I think we have a good idea of seller financing, so what that's going to look like. So just waiting to get the actual agreement for purchase and sale done, finalized, and then working on that and looking at raising capital for that as well. And then how, our strategy find, there, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. How'd you find that property in Texas? <laughs> well, one of my partners, like he has a property, he owns a um, uh, condo development um, in Phoenix. So he's very familiar with investing in the US and, you know, kind of together, we're all at the stage where, okay, we want to do less deals, but larger. So, you know, get away from, you know, the six units, the 10 units and trying to do like five or six of those a year. Let's just try to do one or two larger deals. Uh, we also looked at self-storage and our strategy on the 50 units is really, you know, half of the units have been renovated already, but not all of the units have tenants paying market rent. So our plan is to renovate the remaining units and then slowly start getting those units filled and get it at market rent refinance and just hold on long-term and long-term meaning, you know, if the right offer comes along in five, 10 years, awesome. But yeah, that's our strategy on that one. Gotcha. Um, I know a lot of Canadians invest in the U S what's the process for investing in U S because my understanding is you can't direct invest, but you can invest in LLC that then goes buys the property. What, what does that look like? Yeah. So in Canada, so we have a different structure where we have like a holding corporation, then you have your like your real estate co. And essentially what you have to do is have your real estate company create a U.S. corporation. And again, I will say I'm not an accountant. I'm not a lawyer. These are, you know, things that leave to the professionals. But in theory, then you're just buying it under that company. Now, when it comes to financing as a Canadian, you do have to, um, you know, go through and get the proper tax ID and everything like that. And then, you know, some banks that Canadians would be familiar with, like TD, for example, also has branches in the U.S. So again, you can finance it. But what will most Canadians do that I know? Either they're raising capital and getting seller financing. So using that combination, either doing all cash, and then after, you know, a year or two years refinancing or they're getting seller financing, doing the typical down payment, 
and then going through the same process, refinancing and paying off the seller financing loan. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, one of the things that struck me about your bio was this idea of balance and life balance. And I wanted to give you a little bit of a forum to kind of talk through what is life balance? What is life balance mentor? And let's talk through that a little bit. So what that is to me is, you know, as an entrepreneur, as an investor, um, you know, as a father, you know, as a partner, like life is busy. And I think entrepreneurs and investors sometimes get caught up with, you know, so much drive, so much ambition that you miss a lot of the other things that are happening. Um, so maybe it's, you know, missing special occasions with the family. Maybe it's spending time with friends. Maybe it's pursuing other hobbies. And so I went through, especially when I was trading, you know, spending so much time in front of a computer that I didn't miss necessarily big moments, but I didn't have balance. It was, you know, I'd go to work. So I was still working at nine, nine to five, go to work, come home, hang out with the kids, kids would go to bed. And then it was trading until, and just rinse and repeat. So I stopped playing basketball, stopped working out, like really wasn't active and living other aspects of life. So what happened um, as I transitioned in November, um, uh, I was working with a company and they laid everybody off just financially. And I was like, okay, well, this is good. And then I started, you know, working on building businesses, already obviously had real estate investing. And my girlfriend said that, you know, you're really good at kind of scheduling and fitting things in. I have two boys that play, you know, rep sports, basketball and baseball and investing and time with her and co I also coach basketball. She's like, how do you manage to fit it all in? I said, well, it's just a matter of prioritizing. And a lot of people either a stick their head in their sand when they have a lot on their plate, or they're trying to get everything done every single day. And if they don't get everything done in that list that they have, it feels like a disappointment. So what I did is I just broke it down to, and it's not nothing new. It's nothing I created, just kind of learning from other people that have kind of, you know, live the path, the entrepreneur journey themselves and trying to focus on having a big three every day. And if you have a big three every day, that is your priority. That's what you start your day with. Get those out of the way. And all those other tasks that you have on your list, if those don't get done, it doesn't ruin your day. And a lot of entrepreneurs and investors, when I say big three, they're automatically, okay, that means you got to put out so many offers. That means you got to look at so many properties. That means you have to be in so many meetings. For me, it depends. Like some days last week, Monday was a day my girlfriend and I said, we're gonna not have laptops. So what do we wanna do? We wanna go for a bike ride. That was one of the big three. Wanna go to the gym. That was one of the big three. Wanna watch a movie, one of the big three. Nothing to do with business, but those were three things that were important for that day. Gotcha, and do you help like, hold people accountable and coach them through how to create their big three, because what you're saying is very interesting. I think the times when I find myself in the flow state the most is when I write down the things that I want to accomplish that day. And of course, urgency can add onto the list. But at the end of the day, I want to say, what did I start off saying I wanted to do? And did I do those? And if I did, then I feel better about myself, which slings me into more momentum into the next day, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> well, to answer your question, I do actually coach and mentor people um, on that. So I have a few clients that I work with and, you know, really there are people that are trying to that bridge that gap where they are employees right now and they want to start, well, two of them that I'm working with now, for example, want to get into real estate and how do you actually fit real estate into what is already a busy life, 
between work, kids, spouses, you know, friends, etc. The other thing I try to do is help people break bad habits. Um, so if you have a habit of, okay, I want to become an investor and kind of looking at your day and breaking it down into blocks. And it sounds like a tedious exercise, but basically writing down every 15 minutes of what you do every day for a week. And now let's be realistic with where do you spend your time? You're telling me you don't have time to invest in real estate. You don't have time to you know, pursue this business opportunity. Where are you actually spending your time? One client spent, I want to say about 20% of his week playing video games. Like there's your time right there. Mm -hmm. And then it's all obviously coaching through, well, not only, okay, let's give up video games, but there's a reason why they're doing that. So instead of just saying, okay, give up, go cold Turkey, don't play video games again, that's not going to work long-term. So it's trying to figure out, well, what are playing video games, for example, what is that providing you? It's providing me with an escape from, you know, all the stress I'm dealing with over here. Okay. Let's go over here and talk about that stress. What other strategies can we utilize to deal with the stress that you're having in your personal life? So you're not playing video games. Don't feel that you need to play as much as you are. And then let's start sliding some things in, in terms of real estate. And what I try to do when I work with people is start off with easy, achievable goals, but, you know, make them on a weekly basis. And then as they start doing them, then we can start ramping up. Do you, those goals, are they tasks that you want them to do every day or things that they should get accomplished in a week? It really depends on the individual. It's like anything else. Like if you go to a doctor and say my arm hurts, they can't give you the same cure for everybody that comes in and yeah. says my arm hurts. So you almost have to diagnose what their actual problem is and then deal with that. So for some people, it might be, hey, I want you to get up at 6.30 every morning when they currently get up at you know 6.45. And that might sound weird, but if you're trying to transition and add more time to your day, your body's going to be in shock if you go from like eight to six. Right. right. That again, that's not going to be sustainable. If you go from eight to 7:45, do that for a week. And then how do you feel and slowly back that down? Eventually you can get to six. For some people, it's just okay, let's create a major accomplishment. Let's have you, you know, look at and analyze 30 deals this week. And some people are ready for it. So it really just depends on the individual. Do you time block on your calendar too? I do. I do. And, and like you mentioned, like those are the days that feel the most effective. I think guarding your time is critical, especially as an investor, um, as an entrepreneur. Like if you're not guarding time out for things that are going to help move your business forward or you're investing forward, and it's not always just work, sometimes it's learning. Sometimes it's blocking off half an hour, an hour to read, listen to podcasts like yours to learn something that's going to help propel you forward. So I think adding those things in is important. The other one that a lot of people think that I do, and again, not my idea, I heard it from this, I think it was Alex Ramosi, I think I got this one from, but actually blocking off time to spend with your significant other. Yeah. Because a lot of people, again, investors and entrepreneurs are just go, go, go. And if you have kids, yes, the kids are there, you're with the kids, but then you forget your significant other. And you know, you have to make sure that your significant other, even if they're not a part of your business, that they feel that the business is not you know, more important than they are. So yeah. blocking off a date night, for example. Yeah. Um, one guilty, uh, two, <laughs> we, um, we do something every Sunday where we have a list of questions that we always ask each other, like, where did you feel successful this week? Where do you think that I can help support you for this week coming up? Those sorts of things. Um, but I hate to say that's the only time that we dedicate that we have dedicated on the calendar and I'm working to try to fix that. 
So yeah. I'm, I would be interested um, in learning, when did you feel like your life was out of balance and how did you make the transition? And let me frame it up to you because I, I feel like some days I'm very, very balanced and some days I feel like I'm all over the place. And the next four days from recording this, I mean, my time is blocked down to the 15 minutes and there's zero time on my calendar from 7 a.m. till 6 p.m. That's not blocked. So when did you come to this realization? How did you snap out of it? All those sorts of things. Well, like a lot of people, it was when somebody that um, you love and loves you, you know, looks at you and says, you know, you're not spending enough time. <laughs> and uh, so that happened a couple of times in my life. Um, actually, in the mo most recent one, you know, was my girlfriend saying, okay, well, you know, you're so focused on business and we're not spending enough time together. And that's when I really took a step back and said, okay, well, I need to make our relationship a priority, you know, as well as everything else. And I really love that idea that, you know, you have where on Sundays you spend time kind of talking through what you can do to help each other. I think that's important. And it might be even incorporating, maybe it's not just once a week, maybe it can be, you know, every day, even if it's for five minutes and just having these little check-ins to say, Hey, how was your day today? What was the most stressful part of your day? What was, what went well? What didn't go well? How can I help? And a short conversation just helps to reconnect. You know, sometimes it's nice to have that one day where it's like a long lengthy conversation, but you can almost feel like the rest of the week, you're like two ships passing, you know, through the night, right? Um, other events in my life, I think that uh, kind of led me to, I, I wouldn't call it the realization, but kind of in hindsight, as I say, it's 2020, it, you know, I was married before and I spent so much time, you know, between work, kids, you know, doing four days of Taekwondo, doing all that stuff, trying to hang out with friends every once in a while, investing in real estate, trading that, you know, we'd never spent time together. And, you know, looking back, you know, that is something that I now believe is important for every relationship I have moving forward. And even with friendships, um, you know, before it was very like focused and not, you know, reaching out. And now I make it a point, I haven't, you know, reached out to, you know, Joe or whoever and say, hey, how you doing? A simple message. Hey, how you doing? Haven't chatted in a while. What's going on? Right. So it's just making a point to write those things down because those relationships, I think, help define us to who we are now. And it's not to say that all of those relationships are going to carry forward for the rest of our lives. But if we don't work on those things, like if we don't work on our bodies, if we don't work on our health, it's going to fade. Yeah. Do you have any days where you don't work? Uh, last Monday. And so once a month, my girlfriend and I take a day off. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other than that, it, and it could be half an hour. It could be an hour. Um, you know, depending on what like rep sports tournaments, it, there's been games. I've had a laptop on my lap, sitting in the stands, watching baseball. Um, but I try to kind of, you know, take work away, not even look, really look at my phone when my kids are playing sports. That's something I learned last year. Cause I did that a couple of times. I'm like, I look like the bad parent working yep. during the game. Yep. I, but yeah. The other thing that you said, um, like right now you have this stretch of four days where you're just like back to back and you know, we all go through seasons and periods and, you know, you have this stretch right now that's going to be very focused and dialed in on what you're doing, but that doesn't mean that's going to be every day for the rest of your life. That's just this period. 
And so I think it comes down to looking at that and saying, okay, well, what is missing during this four days that I need to make a priority, maybe the next four. Right. Right. Well, I, um, I'm trying something where now every other Saturday, I'm going to just not touch anything work related. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to go through that to see how that works. Cause Sundays are good days for me to work. I like working on Sundays. It's peaceful and, and things like that, but, um, we're going to try that to see how that works. That's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. Because have you ever done that before? Taking a no. day? I mean, yes, I've taken days where I don't work, um, obviously, but nothing that's like, nope, every other Sunday or every other Saturday are days where I absolutely don't work. And to your point a minute ago, like on seasons, the reason why the next four days are crazy is because on Saturday, it's our daughter's birthday and we have family coming into town. So like it was very intentional on stack everything you can and get it mm-hmm. done so that Friday through Sunday, basically, I can um, can be intentional with the family that's in town. See, there you go. Priority, not work related, but huge priority. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kurt, I want to switch us to our last round now. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Ooh, um, I would say man, there's so many good books that I've read. Um, honestly, the one that I think changed everything for me was when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And this was a long time ago. But I always go back to, you know, that mindset because it was not anything I'd ever heard about, read about growing up. So the whole idea was just like, whoa, you can do that. So I'd say that one definitely had the most impact on my life. Yeah, I it's hard to read that book and not realize the mindset shift it gives just about every reader. Yeah. Our second thing is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the habits that you have? I would say, I'll start with a a funny one. Um, I developed the habit a few, probably two years ago, maybe three years ago of make my bed every morning. Mm -hmm. And it sounds weird um, to those that don't do it or haven't heard about it, but it's just starting your day off with a win. It's like, this is my goal to make the bed. The bed's made awesome. I've won. Um, More important ones that I've implemented. I listen to podcasts every day. And I probably quote more podcasts than almost anybody I know, because that's when I'm working, if I'm not in a meeting, I'm listening to a podcast. So it's all these little hints and tips and tricks. And sometimes you're one, you're like, Oh, that's really, that's really good and really helpful to keep you motivated. So I think anybody that's not consuming, you know, anything that is going to help them kind of grow as a person, grow as an entrepreneur, grow as an investor, then you really are missing out on who you could be 10 years from now. So I'd say that is a huge one. hundred percent, hundred percent. I like this idea of making your bed. For some reason, when I was very young, I, I've always done that. But mm-hmm. I also, before I go to bed at night, I always clean out the dishes from the sink and make sure the coffee is on auto set for the morning. Set out my little athletic greens and vitamin C that I take every morning and pour my water because I always drink a like a 30 ounce water before I uh, have any coffee. And it's yep. just amazing how like you just start stacking that little habit and your day just goes by so smooth as opposed to feeling like you're getting kicked in the shin every time you start your day. <laughs> Sounds like you've uh, listened to and read the same books and podcasts that I have because yep. I That's right. do the same thing. And a lot of it is, you know, you wake up and you start thinking about things like to have the first half an hour, hour of your day where you're not having to think about, okay, what do I need to do? Where are my keys? Where's this? Where's the coffee? It's just you just go. Right. Yep. And that allows you to start thinking about and planning out 
you know, your day in your mind. And I, I believe that if you envision what your day is going to look like when you start waking up for that first little bit, then you typically end up with a day that matches what you envisioned. Yep. Yep. Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice I ever received. Um, I would say the best piece of advice I ever received was to not look at failure as failing. Look at it as, you know, the first step to success. And I paraphrase that. It was said differently to me, but that's what I took out of it. And I think a lot of people have a fear of failing, especially if they're getting into investing in real estate or entrepreneurship, sometimes even changing careers. And ultimately, you have to fail. You have to fail. You know, there's very few, if any, entrepreneurs, maybe Jeff Bezos, who you know, said, I'm going to start a business and Mark Zuckerberg too with Facebook and just had success with the very first thing that they did. Um, I think another thing that goes along with that is you have to fail your way to success. Meaning, you know, if you are, you know, hitting a wall, you're starting a new business, that one fails. A few months later, you start another one, that one fails. Or you're looking at a real estate deal and you keep getting offers rejected or keep getting caught up in due diligence and having to walk away and then you quit that is the only time you actually lose is when you quit. So just keep failing. Like for the rest of your life, just fail every day, fail. Yeah. Yeah. And at some point you will find the success you're after. Yep. Failure is only temporary. Yep. Our fourth one is what is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? Um, thing I'm most proud of in my life. Um, I would say, I would say my kids. I'd say that definitely is something that I'm proud of. Um, I think it's, you know, kind of cliche to say, oh, I'm so proud of my kids. But um, I think they're very, they're all very different and they all kind of, you know, are taking their own path, but it's nice to see them grow as individuals and not have fear to try and not have fear to fail. You know, when you're playing, you know, rep sports, my oldest, you know, son has kids of his own and like, just trying new things and just experiencing life. Um, so very proud of that. Our fifth and last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Um, I, I have an interesting one and just might be the time of year. Um, but my father passed away in 2021. Uh, his birthday was May 4th and recording this in May. So it just passed. Um, and the reason being that when he passed, I was still in university, uh, very, I think different person, very different mindset. Um, you know, so I think just being able to sit and share, you know, my life journey, how things are going, the people in my life, his other grandkids now, great grandkids. I think that'd be pretty cool. Is there anything you wish you would have told him before he passed? Um, I think the only thing I wish I would have told him, which again, wouldn't know at the time was everything's going to be all right. Yeah. Interesting. I think as a, as a parent, that's the one thing you have that you worry about is how, you know, when you are not here anymore to help support, teach, um, teach them, you know, what is their life going to be like? So I think that would definitely be the one thing I would say. Yeah. Well, Kurt, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to learn more about you or the Life Balance Program, where is the best place we could point them? Well, there's a couple of places I'd point them to. Uh, LifeBalanceMentor.com um, is my Life Balance Mentor you know, website. 
and also thrivecommunity.ca. And uh, that website is where we kind of teach and work with inspiring and, you know, kind of mid-level real estate investors who really want to take the next step in their journey. Perfect. We will link those on the show notes. And then Kurt, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Matt. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.